Hi everyone, welcome back to Lightbulb Moment, a podcast featuring women in STEM media and entrepreneurship. My name is Jyoti Ramaswamy and I am your host. We have a great episode coming up, so let's get right into it. Today, I have a really special guest on my podcast. I have Angelica Frexen, who is a part of the executive team at the Harvard Wiss Institute for Biologically Inspired Engineering. Uh, she's done some really awesome stuff with uh, engineering and pharmaceuticals, so I'm really excited to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I'm really curious as to what got you first interested in, you know, science and pharmaceuticals and engineering in the first place. So, you know, this goes a while back. I'm <laughs> out of college and out of education for a little while. But I had, a, in a lot of cases, I think you've got to have a really good teacher at some point in your school career. And I had one of those, I had a few of those actually, who really brought the subject of chemistry close to my heart and in, in, in a way trying to relate to us that, you know, chemistry, the biology life is really applied chemistry and physics and, and that you're going to have a totally different view on the world when you can just look one level deeper and understand how these things all fit together. And so that's how I got interested in it. Um, I got really excited about chemistry. Um, actually, my older brother was trying to talk me out of it. Um, my education was in Germany, and um, it's a very hierarchical world in, in the sciences and in engineering and in chemical engineering. were a little bit of an exception, and, and my brother very strongly felt that I wouldn't get the chances that I deserved um, for, for my career. And so he, he actually invited me to do an internship at the um, Max Planck Institute in Mülheim. Um, and thought that would be enough experience for me to decide against it. Um, but it turned out the total opposite. I loved it. I worked with two really, really great grad students for a few weeks, and that ultimately got me into chemistry. And then, and then you know, it's one of those things where your path opens up in different directions if you just keep going. And I don't know that I would have assumed that I would end up in pharmaceuticals and biotech or in a Harvard Institute, I, I couldn't assume up front that I would end up in the U.S. But sometimes then, once you have discovered your passion, you just have to see where your path leads you. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So I'm also kind of curious about your experience in Europe and studying in, I think, Switzerland and all. I, Because I'm from New York, I've lived my entire life in New York, and I don't really know much about what education is like outside of the U.S. So I'm kind of curious as to what that experience is like for you. Yeah, I think um, the sciences lend itself to do it in different countries. And I think it's a very important experience um, because different countries have sometimes different ways of thinking about things. But in, in the sciences, the essence is the same, right? The scientific principles are the same in Switzerland or in Germany or in, in the United States. What's sometimes different is the... Um, you know, the, the aspect of entrepreneurship, for example, um, you know, the, the venture capital world in Germany and Switzerland is different from the venture capital world in, in the United States. And that's maybe why in the end ended up here. So the sciences might the same, the outlook of application might be different because in the United States, you have a very active venture capital world. You can start companies, you can think about translation, you can think about building a team and maybe get a chance to start a company. So it's not the sciences that changes, it's your outlook 
on the sciences and what you might want to do with it that might be different in different countries. And then of course, and it might be different opportunities for women in different countries or for minorities and, and how open a country is to allow everybody to participate successfully in these fields. So um, Germany at the time when I studied in Switzerland, it was true too, the major career paths were in either academia, academia, so you would become a professor in, in chemistry or biology or the medicine, or for chemistry specifically, you would end up in, in, a, in a large company like BSF and Hearst and Bayer were there at the time. And the entrepreneurial community wasn't very big. Um, that's something I only started to experience in the United States. And so there was a real difference there. Yeah, so I'm curious from there, like how exactly did you land at Harvard? Um, I met my um, supervisor, like Greg Vadine, who was a Harvard professor in the uh, Department of Chemistry and Chemical Biology. He, he gave a lecture in, um, in Geneva with my PhD and I had already decided that I wanted to go a little bit more towards the biological sciences. I had uh, yeah. my PhD was more in catalysis and hardcore organometallic chemistry, so more industry, BSF, colors and things. And I had already decided that I wanted to go more into the biological sciences. So when I heard him speak and met him, I got a chance to talk to him. And that's how I ended up in his team because it seemed to be my background was a good fit to what he tried to do um, in, in one of his projects. And so that's how I ended up with Greg Bedine. He was an interesting person at Harvard at the time because he he had already gotten engaged in the biotech in industry and, and had started up a few companies, was really excited about this and was encouraging me first to go into academia. But when I decided that I wanted to go into biotech, he was also very supportive and you know, provided a few more options. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And you mentioned before that you started to explore um, the entrepreneurship field once you got to the US and that's different from what it's like in Europe. So I'm curious as to what your first impressions of entrepreneurship with biotech, like what those were like and what really led you to exploring entrepreneurship more. Yeah, the I think the major differences I saw at the time between um, an academic career, like once you come out of Harvard, like the academic career opens up too as a potential opportunity either in Europe or in the United States. Um, what I saw as a major difference at the time was that the academic career seemed to be more tailored towards an individual contributor. You come up with your own big idea, you get your grant funding, you build a group around it, and and you start, you know, digging deep into that subject and make sure you get publications with your name on it. And so it just felt a lot like a very competitive environment favoring very, very strong individual contributors. And I believe that like the biggest problems in the world, you're probably better off solving it in a team and in a team with different um, expertise and team that really it's not about each individual, but it's really about the output and about the dynamics of the teams. And um, so biotech actually brought that into the fold very nicely because it's still small teams. It's people who, you know, Microbia at the time, the company where I started, I think there were a lot of very, very strong scientists in that team, but they all knew that ultimately 
the company, the project, the patient came first. And we were all kind of following that same ideal that we wanted to serve a greater good and while doing really great science. And so that to me felt like the major differences at the time, the focus on individual contributors versus the focus on building an organization and building a team and starting to solve bigger problems. And they sometimes can even shift. The, the problem you set out to solve might not be the problem that ultimately you end up with. So building an organization on the way is just equally important to doing good science and developing technologies. And I, the more I dug into that and the more I got involved in a young company, the more intriguing and exciting and interesting that appeared to me. Um, but there was this dual component, there was science and technology, and then there was this building an organization that can carry the science and that can carry the science all the way to somebody who's going to use it. And in our case, a patient who we could make better. Um, so I, that was at the time really intriguing to me and one of the major differences I saw to academia. Yeah, that sounds great for sure. I think building the organization around science is very important. Um, so from there, you also ended up getting your MBA. So I'm curious as to what that experience is like. Yeah, so I, I'm one of the people who likes to dive in. And, and so once I had decided not to go the academic career, but end up in business and also stay in the United States, um, I felt that like doing a little bit of education in the United States and also, you know, combining that with a little bit more business knowledge um, was seemed to be the right thing to do at the time. Um, it, it opened up ideas and approaches to me that, that I think sometimes I wouldn't have seen, the, again, I wouldn't have not seen the world the same way without that little aspect of my education. Um, and, and so it, it turned out to be useful. I did do a part-time MBA. I didn't stop my job to do an MBA. I didn't take a large pause for it. And um, I, I chose the MBA program because it was local. So it didn't become my primary goal, but it certainly supported me in what I was trying to do in, for example, building a successful organization. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, yeah, so before coming to the WIS Institute, you worked with pharmaceuticals in the pharmaceutical industry, and you were involved with the process of developing new pharmaceutical drugs and medicines. So I'm curious as to what this process was like for you and uh, your experience with the process for just overall approving drugs. Yeah, I, I was incredibly privileged because um, the way it worked out for us, I was able to follow a program from the very beginning all the way to commercialization and following it really closely. So a lot of times what happens is, you know, maybe a project doesn't go all the way because it's a difficult thing to do. Yeah. Or, you know, companies decide to outlicense it straight out and it kind of goes over a fence into another organization and, and don't see all aspects of it anymore. So what Ironwood, we, we had a product that's now on the market called Linzess, and we did it, we started it off at Ironwood, uh, the discovery, the initial getting it ready for phase one clinical trials, which was of course very exciting when we got the first product into humans and we saw that it had an effect. Um, and then we partnered up with another organization, Forest Labs at the time, and it was a, a really a shared partnership. We still both organizations did clinical trials. We did the regulatory filings together and ultimately commercialized it together. So what that allows me personally and my team to do was actually see the whole process and see all the complexities and 
understand all the stakeholders in this, which are not just the scientists and the patients and the regulatory agencies, but also it's your commercial group and how are you going to get this out there? And it's the investors in your company. So it was an incredible journey to see all that. And I still, to this date, I think it's more the exception than the rules that somebody can see, you know, a project's going through all the way from an idea to a therapeutic product that helps patients and see all the intricacies around that process, around building an organization around it and building a public organization. Now we had shareholders that we were talking to. And um, so it was a real privilege to be part of a team where all this product stayed very close to us and, and we could see the whole project. It's for sure complicated. Um, it's challenging. Um, it's, it's an environment with a lot of different stakeholders um, that you all have to take seriously, which makes it again a big puzzle. Um, and it's incredibly gratifying if it works out and if shareholders get some value, if most importantly the patients are served and, and you know that somebody is getting better you because you made a drug. And you know, sometimes the pharmaceutical industry has a very poor reputation, you know, sometimes down along the way with the oil industry, which I find mind-boggling. It is important to keep in mind that the most of the people in the pharmaceutical industry want to make therapeutics um, to help people. And that's what is at the forefront of their mind for years until this comes out. And so I think a lot of times in our public discourse, um, sometimes that's totally forgotten. It's, it's very, very, it, it's the most important aspect of any therapeutic yet you will ever take or buy or, or see marketed. It, for years and years and years, these therapeutics and drugs have been in hands of scientists who their only desired outcome is to help people, right? To do good science and to help people. And I think we all need to do a much better job to communicate that um, more regularly. Yeah, for sure. So with everything going on with the pharmaceutical industry and all, it must be fairly hard to convince shareholders that what you're working on is a viable product that can actually, like, it's actually successful, right? Well, the shareholders know the probabilities of success. So, um, you know, somebody who invests in a young pharmaceutical company and maybe in an indication that is difficult and new and nobody has maybe chosen this mechanism of action, they, they are very sophisticated, so they know what they get into, they know what kind of team they're betting on, and they know that the failure rate is high. So um, you, you just have different, different investors. Some investors are focusing on um, therapeutics and, and pharmaceuticals. They know that the probability of success can be low. It's a big, it's a long journey. But if you have something that's really special and helps patients and makes a true difference, then you also get the desired outcome financially. So that's how this works. And this is why we, my drug pricing is such an incredibly hot topic because you have to strike this balance between making drugs accessible to patients so they can actually have an impact and maintain a return to investors so that they are still willing to take the risk of a, of a very high, low probability in success. So, so that's where this discussion around drug pricing is hitting so many different aspects that are so important to keep in mind and why it's so unbelievably complicated. 
Yeah. So with that, I know that there's a lot of talk right now, especially with the vaccines for COVID coming out. So I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on the current vaccines. Yeah, I don't know that I'm the right person to speak to that because I'm not working in any of the companies um, that develop these vaccines. Um, again, I have a strong belief that the scientific and regulatory teams behind these vaccines want to do the right thing. And they want to help society with COVID right now. They want to get it through fast. And of course, there's a lot of political noise around this right now. So I have a strong belief that the, the scientists will do the right thing and that if the regulatory agencies are looking to you know, find the most promising data, the strongest data for a vaccine that ultimately gets approved, we will have a product that would will help us with COVID. Um, the question is when that's going to happen. Yeah. I have a regulatory process that has full integrity um, and really brings a product forward that has a high probability of helping people that could take a little while. Um, and I don't know when it's going to be. I do trust the process of regulatory agencies that are not politically influenced and the scientists who want to do the right thing. And I believe that ultimately we're going to end up with a vaccine that is going to get us back on track to maybe a new normal, but a normal. I don't know if that's going to happen in the spring. I don't know if it's going to happen in the year or end of the year until everybody has access to it. What I do know is once we have a product, people need to have trust in all the stakeholders who brought it forward so that they're going to be willing to take it and that we can get our society back on track um, and we can get everybody back into schools that we can open universities again so that they you know that people actually can be on campus that we can open labs again and be fully functional I think it's incredibly so important and at the same time I do trust the, the people who have done this for a long time and want to develop a vaccine that works and with all their integrity, I do think ultimately they're going to get it right. Yeah. So now you're also at the WIS Institute. So I'm curious as to what your day-to-day is like at the WIS Institute and what your job entails. Yeah. So it's, it's the Wies Institute. It's Hans-Jörg Wies who um, gave an incredibly um, generous donation. Um, it's the first donation to the Wies Institute um, a little bit more than 10 years ago. And um, I only joined the Wies about a year and a half ago, so I walked into an, into an incredible organization of um, cutting-edge science and really a candy store of technology. So, you know, my first six months were just six months of even understanding what everybody did. And I was surprised nearly every day with something new, some new science, some new technology that I had never thought that anybody could do. Um, and then we've built an incredibly community around these technologies of scientists, um, cutting yeah, very, very high-level faculty, um, entrepreneurs, staff. We have staff at the Vs that often comes from industry, so they really understand how to take a product forward all the way to an end user. And we have thrown all this together in one pot to really take cutting-edge science and make products out of it. And products sometimes will go to startups, um, sometimes they're being licensed, sometimes we see outcomes from our startups where they're starting to sell, let's say, research tools, um, hopefully another vaccine in the future at some point. 
Um, and so it's it's a very dynamic organization. It's a complex organization because we have so many different groups that collaborate and so many funding sources and, and so many stakeholders outside of the Institute who like to collaborate and partner with us. Um, and yeah, it's it's very hard to describe. It's a very you know complex and dynamic place. And it's a very exciting place, <laughs> to be honest, um, because we don't have, in, in a biotech or in a smaller company, you typically have one or two products to really focus on. Um, my day at the VIS, I'm coming across so many promising themes and, and promising technologies and so many interesting business cases we could make why this technology is important and could be very impactful in the future. You know, no day is the same. I don't know how I can describe a day. It's certainly a lot of interaction with a lot of very interesting people and um, dedicated scientists, um, people who want to start companies and, and would like to become entrepreneurs and and need a little bit of help on the way. Um, yeah, it's just a very special place, I got to say. That's awesome. Yeah, and it seems like your background in, you know, like chemistry really helps out with that for sure. Yeah, I, I think, you know, personally, I'm a big fan of a scientific career. I, I think, you know, any science really helps you out and look at, at the world in a different way, be analytical about any problem, and then ultimately bring it to fruition, understanding that you're standing on shoulders of giants and you need a lot of giants around you to, to keep it going. So I'm a big fan of the sciences. Um, I think chemistry helped me a lot. Biology or physics would have probably helped me equally. Um, but there is a certain way of thinking about sciences and um, about analyzing a situation um, that when you study science and when you get into it, it's gratifying and it helps you to see the world in a different way. And that applies to an institute, that applies to a small company, that applies to a big company. Um, and sometimes it applies to a whole country. You might know that the German Chancellor Angela Merkel is a scientist by background. And so you can already see that she took on a problem like covid with the mind of a scientist and and I think developing that mind is an incredibly valuable thing to do. Yeah, definitely. And of course right now gender and racial diversity it it's a huge issue with STEM today. So I'm curious as to how the Weiss Institute takes diversity into consideration in its projects. Yeah, our first and foremost goal has to be to be inclusive. So that if we see a good technology it, it doesn't matter where this technology comes from. Um, you know, we, we can we want to be supportive. We want to be supportive of the entrepreneur. We want to be supportive of the technology. We want to be supportive of the person behind the technology and be as inclusive to anybody as we can be. Um, the sciences are ultimately driven by technology, and and so we we soon see diverse. We, we have a diverse population at the VIS. I wished it was a little bit more diverse, but you know the, the, the scientists come um, as as they can with their technologies, with their dreams, with their you know participation in the different labs. So um, we have a lot of female scientists um, at the benches um, and our projects, and some very very promising entrepreneurs that I, I feel very close to and try to support <laughs> with all I can so they can get out there. These female entrepreneurs, for example, still face uh, a reality that, you know, female entrepreneurs are not as well funded as male entrepreneurs. So we need to find the resources for them and make sure that they get heard and that they get the same chances to launch their dream as anybody else. And that, truth, that applies to any other minority group. Um, 
the sciences are dominated by certain groups, and that is reflected at the V2. So we are not there yet, and we need to work really hard to make our, our community as diverse as we can. Yeah, for sure. So, of course, like life is completely shifted now because of the pandemic. So I'm curious as to how uh, your experience with the Weiss Institute has changed uh, since March and how the Weiss Institute has adapted since then. Yeah, that's an interesting one. So the Wies Institute, what I find special about the Wies Institute is that, you know, we are like an enormous collaborative environment. We have chemists, we have biologists, we have engineers, we have people with medical degree, we have business people. And once COVID hit us, um, first of all, we had to deal with it, right? We had to empty out the labs. We have to, you know, be, be not really shut down, but limit our operations at the Wies. And then somehow very quickly, people started to become problem solvers. Um, so we knew a vaccine was needed. We knew there, like, we need a lot more diagnostics. But some of, we have also engineers. So some picked up the, the need for swaps, for better swaps to actually even diagnose the, the virus and that there was a shortage. Um, some people started to use 3D printers and figure out how to make face shields out of them because there was, if you remember, in March and in April, there were shortages in about everything that you could possibly come up with. And so it was interesting because the V's very quickly turned around and all these creative minds came together and went off together and did certain things. And we, we became key players in the community of people who developed diagnostics uh, with our diagnostic accelerator. We became um, certain teams built to figure out, can we repurpose drugs and get really solid data behind these drugs um, to make sure that if there are already drugs out there, somebody could use without a large approval process. Let's know, let's find out quickly what these drugs are and so that we can turn this around quickly. So there were all entire teams that came together around that. Um, we had people, as I said, making face shields and driving all across New England to deliver these face shields to hospitals and um, physicians' offices. And we had people who then partnered up between swaps and diagnostic tools. We had people who designed um, tools to actually, you know, clean surfaces and understand is the virus still there or face shields that can detect the virus. So there was so much going on that disease. It was unbelievable how a whole community just, like, you know, marched behind a problem and came together and collaborated. So I I call it our COVID moment because in, you know, in an institute, in a general environment where we typically, are, you know, have so many different things going on, this was in a, in a way, this was a moment of focus where everybody saw one problem, but a different angle to that problem and started working and started collaborating. And it became like an incredible experience for us um, in the end. Um, we're now seeing that other projects come back in and we need to figure out how to maintain our focus. But I, I think what happened in that time, it became very apparent what the strength of the Vs is, um, that we have, we try to break down silos. So chemists work with engineers and we have engineers and, and um, biologists and chemists and they all start to work together. We are part of the whole network of universities and hospitals and industry and venture, um, not only in Boston, but beyond. And our goal is always to be flexible in our models, to partner well, to collaborate well, and, and to drive the science where it needs to go independently who does it. And so I call it a COVID moment that we had. Um, I, I wished it hadn't taken the pandemic 
<laughs> but we are talking a lot about it, how we can create these moments again in the future and and identify problems that we can um, collaborate around and really become a powerful community around. And so for us, it was a very interesting time, as, as difficult as it is for many still, um, because we cannot be all in the labs at the same time. Um, the community, of course, suffers when you don't see each other in person. Um, I think finding great talent for the Vs is very hard when you cannot show people this very special place in person. Um, a lot of people are still working from home and they're homeschooling at the same time and they have their dogs and kids all over the place while they're trying to get work done. So it's still challenging. Um, it's challenging for everybody. And, you know, that assumes you're healthy and you actually have a job. A lot of people are in a much more unfortunate situation. But it also has been a really interesting, positive moment, the way this community has pulled together and tried to solve really important problems all going into the same direction. So, yeah, it has been a really interesting time with all its challenges and all its successes. And um, in a way, is something that really showed the strength of this institute. Yeah, that's amazing how well the Weiss Institute was able to adapt to the whole situation and just work to help everyone during the pandemic. Um, I'm really curious, though, now that you're starting to get back on track with other projects at the Weiss Institute um, and with everything happening right now with technology and how it's developing so quickly, I'm curious as to what you see as the future for the Weiss Institute and for just biologically inspired engineering overall. Yeah, I think the future of the Visa Institute will still lie in, in identifying these moments when we can take a really big problem, either healthcare or sustainability, and working in an environment where we really don't have silos, or at least we try to break them down left and right, bringing great collaborators together and solve these problems. And um, I think that's the strength of the Vs. Um, I think we're tapping in, in, into incredible technologies that come out of our academic labs. And then we help these technologies along, pair them with entrepreneurs, pair them in collaborations, um, and bring them out into the world. So that's not going to change about the Vs. I think the problems we're going to tackle, I hope they're going to get bigger and bigger. COVID was a tremendous problem. Um, there are healthcare problems that are really big, right? When you think about mental health or rehabilitation, and that's even COVID-related at this point. Um, a lot of veterans that come back and have some severe problems, maybe mentally, maybe physically. Um, I don't know that we're all ready sometimes for these, these big healthcare challenges. We have a sustainability challenge in this world that we all know about, believe in the global warming or not, and if it's man-made or not, but it's clearly changing the world around us and we need to face it. And we cannot put our heads into the sand. So I hope that the fees and its very collaborative approach and with the cutting-edge tech, cutting technologies we have access to um, can build the teams that have that going to make a real difference in these ever-increasing sizes of problems and challenges we're going to face. And I, I do think COVID is a wake-up call that, you know, yes, we have the flu every year. And, and yes, we have, have talked about global warming for a long time. But I think what we have been facing this year is, you know, the enormous disruptive power of what these changes can can bring and have. And, and so we do need to have groups who are willing to work together and 
not compete, but collaborate and think across their own walls and um, find where the problem solvers are. They're going to come together. And I, I hope that the Vs is playing, will be continue and even more forcefully so, so play a major role in providing technologies, building teams, and hopefully also present a model that we will find again and again over the country. Um, because I do think a lot of the challenges we face, conservation is not going to do it by itself anymore. There's going to be technology that needs to be developed to solve them. Um, and I hope that the VC is going to play a major role in that. Yeah, I think that would be incredible. And just the future of the VS Institute sounds amazing to, you know, expand the projects that it's working on. Um, do you have any advice for anyone listening if they want to get involved more with the VS Institute or just with, you know, entrepreneurship and biotech overall? Um, we are always open to speak to people who would like to join us maybe as an intern or who are already further along in their career and, and would like to join the VIS team, especially if they have some interesting technology or industry experience that matches some of the platforms we have. Um, I, I think maybe the more important thing we need is making technology and science um, one of the most important things in a society again. Um, I think... I'm a strong believer in data-driven decision-making. I'm a strong believer in the scientific perspective on any problem we face. Um, I strong, I'm a strong believer in developing technology that can serve challenges for us. And so to me, having as many advocates as we can, as the Vs and even as a scientific community is maybe the one of the most important things we have right now. And so I would encourage anybody who has is surrounded by young people who are considering science, but maybe find it a little bit hard to find their passion in it um, because there's so many aspects of it. it. For me, it's hard to believe that you couldn't find your, your, your passion in some sort of science or technology and, and even art play a big role at the Vs. You know, some of the initial ideas coming from Don Inger and Integrity you find it in the arts everywhere. Biology and biological systems are equally artful and beautiful as some of what artists create. And so I think all these things need to come together. You cannot create silos. And I think the idea of looking technology in the absence of arts and looking at science without understanding how much artfulness is in there I think breaking down those boundaries and, and thinking about how we can solve problems together. By, by following your passion, but, but seeing what the world needs, I would encourage anybody to, to start thinking that way. Not Don't think small. Don't think about the financial benefit that might come out of it and you want to go into finances and make big dollars. I personally don't find that very gratifying. But I do think if you go out and change the world and the goal is to really help to make an impact, other rewards will follow. And, and you cannot make them your primary goal. So that's the one thing I would say. You can talk to these, you can talk to us, but there are many other groups too where, where that mindset would be beneficial. And, and so I think it would be nice if you see more and more people in with that mindset. 
Yeah, I definitely think that mindset's very important to focus on helping people uh, rather than anything else for sure. Um, I guess the last question I have, because the name of this podcast is called Lightbulb Moment, I'm curious as to whether you had any lightbulb moments that stand out to you where you realize something that still affects you now. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, I, I think the lightbulb moments, to me, were the ones um, in my early career in biotech, understanding how important a team is. That we can all go out and and solve problems individually, but the team culture we created and the very strong vision we created at my first workplace, which was my Kubia at the time, I thought it was so powerful. And um, as much as I like the sciences, scientific problem solving as an individual is really hard. Um, but if you bring a team vision behind it and you work well together and you really like working together, um, I, I think that's one of the most powerful things um, that you can experience in your own career. And I, I think that was the light bulb moment for me. It was great to have an underlying um, understanding and expertise in science. Um, but what it really takes to solve a problem is very effective team building and, and liking the people you work with, respecting them and trusting them. Because, you know, you cannot come up with a crazy idea. You gotta surround yourself with people who, who you know, productively criticize it and make it better and, and don't tear it down. And so that's how good technology is being developed. And that's why I'm saying any new technology development stands on the shoulder of giants and you better surround yourself with giants too, who are willing to be honest to you and tell you when they have a great idea and when you have a really crappy idea. So I think my light bulb moment has been when I realized how important it is to, to put the team first, um, then the technology, um, and, and then bring those two things together. Yeah, that's very important. And I guess follow-up last question, do you have any advice in terms of like finding the right team and the right people to work with? That's funny because I just came out of a conversation where he was talking to somebody in my staff about this. Yeah. And my advice to him was that you really have to create your vision first. You need to understand who you want to be as an organization, not only what you want to accomplish, but what who who do you want to be? What's going to be really important to you? What are your values? What's your mission? And then I think you have to build a team that aligns with that. You have to bring in great expertise. You have to bring in innovative thinkers and all of that, that's a given. Um, but you wanna decide first who you are as an organization and then make sure that the people you hire are actually buying into that idea. Um, and not only buy into that idea, but they're gonna be advocates for that idea. They're gonna find the next person to hire and, and there is a fit there for a team to really work well together. So. I do think it's, it sounds like this big word, but I think the idea of a vision of where you wanna go and who you wanna be when you go up as a team, I, I do think that's really important. And then you're gonna find the right people who are gonna follow you on that journey and, and stick it out when it gets hard, because it will get hard here and there. First technology might fail and if you buy it, build a team, either anywhere really, maybe as an entrepreneurial team or within part of another organization, a lot of things are not going to work out the way you think it will. But you have like a North Star that you've agreed on and, and that's your vision and that's you're going to stick to it and you're not going to fall apart on the first failure. 
I think it's that you have to define that North Star first. Yeah, that's very important. North Star, I like that. Yeah, thank you so much for letting me talk to you. I love talking to you. All right, everyone, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will be back next week with a brand new episode and a brand new guest. Until then, if you want to learn more about Lightbulb Moment, you can find us on Instagram at Lightbulb Moment Podcast and on Twitter at Lightbulb Moment, where the last E is an X. And if you want to learn more about me, your host, personally, you can find me on Instagram at Jyothi Ramaswamy and on Twitter at Jyothi underscore Ramaswamy. All right, that's it for this week. I will see you all next week. Thank you.